Welcome to New Books in African American Studies, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Adam McNeil. Today on the podcast, we are not interviewing someone with a new book. Instead, I'm interviewing someone whose job it is to usher many of our favorite books into print. The person we're interviewing today is none other than Don Durante, Senior Acquisitions Editor at the University of Illinois Press. And she works on texts associated with African American studies, women's, gender, and sexuality studies, American studies, religion, and anthropology. Welcome to the podcast, Don. How are you? I'm great. It's such an honor to be here with you. I'm so excited. Yeah, no, I'm excited too. And um, thank you for for taking the time. You know, it's you know nearly conference season. You know, we're on the horizon. So I wanted to uh, take the time out and show love to one of uh, the folks who have been uh, really, really awesome and, and kind and uh, helped me to uh, publicize some of the work uh, of uh, the authors from, from your press. So um, thank you for coming on. And, um, you know, I- I'm really excited to chat with you uh, really about what it is you do, because I don't think everyone exactly knows what a senior acquisitions editor does. No, that's true. Uh, not even sometimes my family. <laughs> it's an education. <laughs> I always that it uh, has taken me about 15 years to learn all about I do. And all I want to do is, uh, you know, teach that to scholars who are writing books in exchange for all the things that they teach me as I'm working through reading their manuscripts and learning from their work. Very good. Very good. And so in this vein, can you just begin to talk to us about what was your journey to reach, you know, your level as a senior acquisitions editor at such a tremendous press? Yeah. um, Well, I discovered publishing through an internship at the University of Arizona Press. Uh, I was an undergrad in literature at U of A, and I was majoring in literature, minoring in classics. And I was getting so, so good at crosswords because I knew all of the gods of like ancient Greek and Egyptian and Roman. But I was like, I don't think this is a job. So I was looking for internships. I got hired at U of A Press and I was in the acquisitions department and uh, was so smitten with the idea that there was a job out there where you got to say, go to conferences and meet with people, like the smartest people at what they do. And then in your office, like read manuscripts from people. You get to read and talk to people. Like that's what I love to do. (laughs) Sign me up. So a fast forward uh, about eight years later, I got my job at University of Illinois Press as an assistant acquisitions editor. I had completed a master's in literature at Arizona State University, which had a scholarly publishing certificate program. So I'm that big of a scholarly publishing nerd and lover that I did a graduate certificate program. I wrote my thesis on basically ebooks and peer review. Um, and so I like love thinking about publishing as much as I love helping authors think through their work and getting it published. Um, when I started at the press as an assistant in 2011, I assisted two acquisitions editors in a variety of fields. One of them left, um, to become editor in chief at another press. And that's when I got promoted and I inherited, um, some of the areas you listed at the beginning. Um, it's when I started doing African-American studies, women, gender, and sexuality studies and American studies. Um, over the years I took on religion as well. Um, and then I got promoted to senior acquisitions editor a few 
few years later. And the main difference between all the titles you might see out there between, you know, acquisitions editor, senior executive editor, a lot of the time that's representative of the volume of work they're doing. Maybe they acquire a few more titles a year as a senior acquisitions editor than they did as an editor. It also can mean like their networks within the field. So I also took on another list. Now I've taken on anthropology. And so these titles kind of are a little bit commensurate with your time as an editor and also the maybe like your impact factor in being able to make way into these disciplines and connecting with scholars. Um, And here I am at Illinois. I've been here for eight years and uh, like loving it. Yeah, no, no. And it's and it and it shows, you know, what I'm saying like, you know, we I can't remember. Ex- I think we met in, I think officially I think we met at Asala last year, but we had, you know, uh, been in communication. And, you know, I, it, you know, it's interesting because the second book interview that I ever did for New Books and FM and now I'm uh, I'm in the 50s now. Um, so almost two years. Almost, uh, next month will be. um the end of October, early November will be two full years. And it's interesting because the second one was uh, a f- now friend, Dr. Shawandi Musakim at uh, Washington University in St. Louis, whose book, Slavery at Sea, uh, uh, Terror, uh, Death and Sickness in the Middle Passage, I think is a full title. Um, you know, that book not only was life changing, but it brought me into uh, connection with uh, Dr. Musakim. And now, you know, we're good friends. And so, you know, it's really cool to be able to, you know, revert back because, you know, that was, you know, like my, uh, like I said, my second interview. And um, I, I don't like to listen to it because I was like, oh, I was like real, real green <laughs> behind the ears. Like, oh, like, listen to him. Like, oh, who is that guy? I don't know him no more, but um, it, it's really cool. And I, and I mentioned that because, um, one of the parts, because, you know, I'm in an African-American, African-American readings course at Rutgers University with um, uh, Dr. Erica Armstrong Dunbar. And in the book, um, In Slavery at Sea, you know, she has you being uh, um, Dr. Musikame in her acknowledgments. And, um, you know, one of the cool parts, it just seems is like, you know, these folks putting you in their, you know, in their books, right? You're the senior acquisitions editor, you know, you're bringing things along. How does that make you feel to, to see that your name you know, they're, they're thanking you in the book. You know, how, how yeah. does that, you know, how does that touch you? I have actually cried because sometimes the acknowledgments aren't completed when the manuscript comes in. So I don't see it till the book comes out. Or sometimes an author and I have been working together for years and it's the final manuscript about to go to production and it'll come across my desk and we're just trying to tie up loose ends. And all of a sudden I'll see my name and these like super kind words. And some people have written just the most generous things. And, um, it's really the only way acquiring editors end up mentioned in the book. So I think that also adds a lot of maybe hopefully contextualizing why it means so much to me. Um, um, but I, I know my role is meant to be behind the scenes. And that's part of actually what I love about the job is being a facilitator. My main commitment is always to facilitate the work of others. Um, but And so this is kind of embedded in my editorial philosophy, but also why when I see my name, I get um, like just so grateful. Um, And like, it's really fun when my parents can see that. Um, And when I have a tough day, sometimes I pull books off my shelf and look at the positive acknowledgments to like help me gain some perspective. Um, You know, it's 
it's really been, um, what I'm always struck by is how like brilliant and generous so many people are in these disciplines that I work in. And I'll see certain times of the year where, um, authors, scholars are, are talking about how much their students, they like become like a well of support by just like these little kind of nice things they'll do or understanding things or showing that they appreciate them. And, and I have to say that I feel the exact same uplift from so many of my authors who, you know, sometimes have no idea what might be going on in my day or my life and are just always understanding when I can't email back as soon as I'd like. And so the acknowledgements I, I kind of feel are hopefully um, usually born out of like a, just a mutual appreciation for all the work we've done together. Um, obviously, <laughs> their authors are doing the most work here, and I'm just happy to be part of it. I'm just like so proud of so many books, including Shawande, Slavery at Sea, like Terror, Sex, Sex and Sickness in the Middle Passage is a great example of a project where um, it was like so much communication and has been such a big reward for all the work that she put in. And it just, we get Friday morning um, emails about top 10 Amazon sales and some other data and uh, her book shows up like all, all the time. And so it's, it's really great to see that too. And so these books are just continue to be for years um, at university presses, these exciting things that we can be proud of. Wow, that's uh, that's really cool to know. So, so that's good to know. So every Friday, y'all get a, a, a data report. So that would have meant that you just got one earlier today, maybe, um, or, or waiting for one, um, which is cool because you know sometimes I think like, what are the books that are you know selling and and such, and you know that 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 does mean a lot because you know uh, we want to make sure that uh, people people not only know about the books, but they also go out and get them. And so that's why um, I love doing what I do is because, you know, I've literally had people say, like, I bought, you know, uh, such or such as a book because of uh, I listened to your interview with them on New Books and FM or mm. wherever they caught it at. And so, like, I'm like, oh, snap, like, whoa, <laughs> like, like that. You bought that because of that? Well, oh, that's, like, really cool. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it also makes me think about um, – you know, doing your job, you know, you talked about um, the acknowledgements being such an important part uh, for you to see, you know, especially on those rough days. Um, and you might have already technically answered this, but, you know, can you talk about what, what's been your biggest professional high uh, like that you've had so far as, you know, at, at any level, you know, that you've been along this particular journey? Yeah. I mean, I think it's so hard to pinpoint just one. I mean, I have you can a couple if you want to constantly like um, at a conference, like someone will be like, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to email you. I'm like, you know who I am? Or like I get to work with a bunch of really amazing series editors. And some of those are Deborah Gray White, Keisha Blaine, Darlene Clark Hine. Like sometimes we have lunch together and it's like, these are academic rock stars and I'm just little old me. And so I don't know, I, I really do feel like, um, those are some pretty big professional highs. Um, and, um, one of the first books I ever acquired is, um, called glory in their spirit, how four black women took on the army during world war II. It's by Sandra Bolzenius. It's in the women, gender and sexuality in American history series. Um, that is edited by me um, as the internal editor and then series editors, Deborah Gray-White, Wanda Hendricks, and Susan Kahn. And 
that book had just last year received an honorable mention at the OAH for the Darlene Clark Hine Award. And so being able to see a book that was like literally one of the first books I had a conversation about to acquire for that series. And like, it was my first series I started acquiring win an honorable mention for uh, an award that is like so such a big deal in my field. And like Keisha Blaine won that award for her book. So it was, that was, um, I was a hashtag very proud editor that when that news broke, um, I love it when my authors win awards. Cause you know, I see the hard work, I see the reviews, you know, these books come out and you don't always know that reviewer two is maybe not that nice. <laughs> um, and so uh-huh. I, I think that's some of my biggest professional highs when I can see that success. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm very lucky to have this job. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and you're, uh, you know, you're a blessing to many people and I've, and I've had, you know, uh, conversations with people about, um, you as an editor and such, and, and you know, people speak glowingly, uh, of, of what you do and, um, and, and as well, you know, thinking about, you know, because we have a lot of, you know, graduate students, ABDs and, and folks who are, are completing dissertations and, you know, so people from a large swath of, um, of academia and outside of it too. Hi, mom, because I know you're listening. Um, <laughs> you know, can you talk to us about, you know, what are some of the tips that you have for folks, right? Because, you know, you've been at the game a little, you know, you, you're a seasoned veteran in the game now, to use a sports analogy. And so um, can you give us um, some tips about, you know, things that you, that you, that you look for when it comes to you know, potential manuscripts and such like that, you know, especially with conference season about to pop up and, you know, meetings with folks. Yeah, I I will start out with two things that are not specific to actually the proposal or manuscript at all, just navigating publishing. And one is something I try to reinforce as much as possible, which this is a process and there's not one right way to do it. So there's some wrong ways, like, um, you know, we, there's like, you know, professional things that you just will want to do always like be honest. (laughs) Um, but there's a million right ways for you to approach an editor, for you to submit a proposal. The peer review process is different for everyone. So if your colleagues getting reports back and yours aren't back yet, like don't sweat it. It's not usually a sign of anything bad. Um, so that's one thing. There's no one right way that all of this goes. And another thing is to remember that like editors aren't here for some book to author ratio. We're like looking at editor to scholar kind of relationships. And I say that because I think it takes a little bit of the pressure off when you're say coming up to an editor at a conference to maybe introduce yourself So we don't have to talk about a book for me to be interested in your work. Um, And so sometimes if people are trying to approach an editor, but nervous to talk, or maybe not yet at the point where they want to pitch their book, you could ask something like, hey, I see Illinois has a lot of books that are in line with my intellectual working commitments, and I'm teaching this class, such and such. Do you have any new books that I might consider for the class? And that's like a good way to just like start up a conversation and start build a relationship with an author. Um, I've had some people who, as grad students, came and bought books from me every year. We got to know each other. And now some of those books are under contract and will be books soon. And 
So these relationships build in lots of different ways. If you're on a more traditional path, you know, a lot of people don't have conference funding. That's not a big deal either. There's so many ways you can contact editors um, and email is really really, you don't even have to send an email saying, can I email you my proposal? We get stuff over the transom all the time. I would say some tips for just like low key approaching an editor over the transom with your proposal are, you know, be, um, think about how you're investing your time and think about your top three, maybe presses where you want to send a proposal and really tailor a cover letter to that press saying, why you see your book fitting there and why, um, if you're interested in a series, why, and it's not to say do that because it's an extra step or homework. It's because we as editors get a lot of things in our inbox and you might be able to communicate to us a connection we wouldn't see otherwise. So you're really, you know, helping us out. Um, and I would also say, especially for more early career scholars and people transitioning from a dissertation to a book, just really um, embrace the idea that, you know, a dissertation is often a document intended to demonstrate your scholarly competence to a specific academic committee. And the book is something that speaks in your own voice to an audience of your own choosing. And you don't have to have the whole book complete to be able to articulate in a proposal what you've chosen that audience to be and what your voice is. Um, I probably have like a, a I could go on forever, but I'll stop there in case there's like certain directions you want me to expand on. But um, yeah, just remembering that there's not one right way to do this all, I think it helps people really know that they can infuse a little of their own person and not only their communications with an editor, but also in their project. Because a person, unlike a dissertation on even whether it's your first book or your eighth book, People are buying the book because they want to hear what you have to say and what your argument is. So always make sure you're like pitching a book that you're like passionate about the intervention and try to tune out the noise. If like some people are trying to advise you in a way that you just don't feel is right. That could be that could be mentors or editors. Mm. No, no, that that's that's definitely valuable information. And and, and it's important because I, I feel like, you know, as someone who's coming up in in the process, you know, from the ground level and, you know, having these particular conversations at conferences and other wires, um, I, I don't always know if people know how to navigate. So so I'm glad that, you know, we got this on, on wax to be able to, you know, have folks to really know, you know, from from an actual person who's, you know, at the at the station at which you are. Um and, and so as well with that to to extend this to um, as far as tips and such go, can you also speak to um, what are what are you know? We, we, so so we talked about this. So, so let's talk about the series, right? So so you talked about working with um, uh, Dr. Darlene doctors, uh, Darlene Clark Hine and Deborah Gray Watt and others. Can you talk to us about the particular series series or series? I, I don't know if that's the right word. You're the literature person, um, but you know what? You know what are the what are the um, series that you work with them on? And can you describe yeah. them for us? So I work on 12 different series, um, which if it sounds like a lot, it kind of is. Um, <laughs> it's partly because I acquire in so many areas that are different. I try to find the overlaps and the intersections of those. And that's why you'll see like 
you know, of course I do a lot of African-American studies generally, a lot of women's gender and sexuality studies generally, but really there's also a heart of Illinois list that black feminist studies. So just to give some context, a series is a kind of more curated grouping, a formalized grouping within under the umbrella of a larger list area at a press. And that series is usually overseen by an internal like sponsoring editor like myself and then scholars in the field. And some series have um, just an internal sponsoring editor, um, like our director at University of Illinois Press. Her her academic background is in music. So she is also the music like acquiring editor and doesn't work with a series editor in some of those cases. Um, for my series, I have some that range from one series editor to five. It's It all varies. And usually why a press is... Um, forming a series in conjunction with scholars is it's to support a discipline and it's to show a press's commitment to that area of studies. Um, some of the like books that you've uh, reviewed on this podcast are a lot from series like um, Our New Black Studies series, which is edited by Darlene Clark Hine and Dwight McBride. I'm super excited that that series is celebrating its 15th anniversary this year, actually at the upcoming Asala conference. We're hosting a reception at the University of Illinois press booth on Friday afternoon. And one of the things we're doing is celebrating that series and its anniversary. Um, a new book that's come out in the series, an author that will have a signing there is Jonathan Fenderson for his new book on Hoyt Fuller. So that's very exciting. Another series I work on that is kind of on the opposite end of celebrating an anniversary. It's quite new, just established last year is Black Internationalisms, and that's with Keisha Blaine and Keto Swan. So the first book that just came out in that series is edited by Keisha Blaine and Tiffany Gill on Black women's internationalism, and Tiffany Gill will be signing books um, at Asala as well. And we'll be able to celebrate um, all these books at upcoming fall conferences like the National Women's Studies Association, American Studies Association, uh, I'm going to anthropology as well. Um, I also mentioned already that I work on the Women, Gender, and Sexuality in American History series with Deborah Gray White, Wanda Hendricks, and Susan Kahn. That series is a little near and dear to my heart in a way because it's the first series I ever started acquiring. So as a little baby assistant editor, that was the first chance I got to really dip my toe in the acquisition school. And then, um, and then I also am really excited, um, especially this time of year, because NWSA is approaching, that I work on an NWSA UIP collaborative book prize. So um, I get finalists for that prize all year from all different disciplines for folks who are doing women's studies. Um, I, I get submissions and then I pick up to uh, pick a few finalists. The NWSA committee reviews them and I am like, waiting, like I should have it next week, the finalist result from NWSA. So that's very exciting. Um, and these a series all are different ages. The Women, Gender, and Sexuality series in American history is going to turn 30 soon. And so that's been very cool to think forward to, to show term commitment in these fields and whatnot. So um, if you're thinking about particular series at Illinois or other presses, it's um, always great to clue an editor in like early on, just so you can have transparent conversations about what's going on with that series and whatnot. Um, but yeah, series um, are really wonderful because it's like a huge collaboration, not only with an author, but I get to collaborate with series editors and um, they are like out there on the ground and have a lot more, their networks are so different from mine. So it's really a gift, like getting to work on so many series is a gift. 
Absolutely. And it, and it really sounds like it because, you know, you just, you know, just just waxed on about so many <laughs> awesome different um, uh, series and, and, you know, 15 years, first year, you know, intermediate. And, and it's really awesome. And you can you can hear the the the, the joy and the excitement um, that 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 you that you display, you know, not only in conferences, but through emails and, and through these other spaces, too. Um, and, and it also makes me think about, um, you know, the different, like being, being versatile, right? Because, because the other part that's interesting that I don't, that, that I'd like to have you talk about, um, in the time that we have left, you know, because the thing, so we're, so we're always talking about the writing ability and, and the editorship of, you know, um, of folks who are, you know, constructing these manuscripts with their, you know, personal folks on their side, and then they send it to you. So can you talk about how do you, as someone who has to edit, has to edit, and you, you know, you have to have a particular, you know, a, a depth pen as well. How do you, you know, what do you, what does an editor do to keep their, their, their skills where they are and also seek to improve? Like that, that, you know, that that's something that, you know, I just thought about, like, how, how does an editor get better? Yeah. Oh, my God. I love that question. It's so great. Um, I always say if your editorial philosophy isn't changing, it's not a good philosophy. <laughs> um, so I really am always trying to learn more about how to be a better editor um, and how to be a more effective advocate for books and whether that's learning a field or playing organizational politics as we all have to do at our organizations. Um, those are things that I'm always trying to better my skill set. Um, some ways I stay on top of um, trying to navigate all of this is I always try to remember who is the expert at what, right? And I happen to be in that kind of usual, the author-editor dynamic. I tend to be the expert on the process of publishing, whereas the author is the expertise on a lot of other things involving the book. And so just trying to do an exchange. So of course I have different professional development things that I do as an editor. I'm um, going to some things about like, you know, leadership. And we have an association of university presses annual meeting where we go and we talk about, um, you know, standards and best practices of peer review. So I can always make sure I'm avoiding conflicts of interest and being as transparent as I can be while also retaining anonymity for the peer reviewers. I'm always trying to learn more about the publishing industry. And I think one of the benefits that I have of working with um, so many different networks is, uh, is that I get so many different perspectives. And so we're all limited by our positionality, our perspective, and our own privileges. So the more people you can rely on and factor into as you're making decisions about manuscripts and proposals, the more um, kind of ethical I think it can make it. Um, you know, I don't do a lot of like red line copy editing or kind of stuff like that because that's just not like the role. But I do try to stay on top of new books coming out in the industry. Um, University of Chicago Press has this great series that has lots of different things that like we all know the Chicago Manual of Style. They came out with a great uh, edited collection edited by Peter 
Gina, I think is how the last is G-I-N-N-A called What Editors Do. And I read that. I actually reviewed it in the Journal of Scholarly Publishing. And what that was awesome is that what why that book was so awesome is not only did it have other editors talking about scholarly publishing and how they do their work, but it talked a lot about other industries. So it's made me a better editor in terms of being able to say like, this book sounds great, but like, have you thought of these other types of publishers? Because, you know, there's different types of books out there and they might not all be quite right for a university press. Um, So I try really hard to always expand my horizons and I try to listen and I try to remember what I say to all my authors, which is there's not one right way to do something. So there's not one right way for me to handle a manuscript when it comes in. And some works, um, it's not one size fits all. Some proposals need maybe me to take a little bit more time to give some advice. And some authors just really prefer me to be hands off. And so I just try to... um, feed on what other people are um, needing. And it's, I, I hope it's been serving me well. And, um, and, and all you said about hearing good things about me, like I cannot say more wonderful things about the connections and the networks and the authors I have. They're like boundless generosity and brilliance. Most definitely, most definitely. And um, it's really, it's really cool to hear, you know, about how, you know, an editor keeps going and how they get better because, you know, as writers have to get better, no matter where you are positioned, um, editors, you know, they, they, they have to be able to do the same too. So it's really cool to, uh, get that particular insight. And, um, for the last question, um, that I have, you know, just specifically on the profession, can you speak to, you know, for, for those, you know, for those future dons out there, right? You know, what, what, what tips do you have about what, you know, how, you know, looking back, you know, you know, we've talked about, you know, your trajectory, but now to go back to that kind of starting point, can you, can you give those out there who are considering scholarly publishing as a profession? Can you speak to them as far as, you know, what it takes as well as, you know, maybe some opportunities or, you know, something along that vein, because, you know, we need more folks in the pipeline to be able mm-hmm. to be the future dons. You know, you're not going to be at it forever, you know, though we though we hope that you are, it is forever and ever and ever, you know, you know, to, to, to be able to uh, help the folks along the pipeline. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you asked this because professional development is actually a huge commitment of mine. Um, not only, um, in terms of like my industry, but that's kind of why I love to do things like this podcast. And I do a lot of dissertation to book talks and just trying to demystify the process. Cause I know that's another element of professional development that really serves the disciplinary communities, hopefully. Um, and then in terms of people interested in publishing, I have to say again, there's not one right way to get into it. Um, People call this the accidental profession because there's um, like no one grows up thinking like, "Mm, I want to be an editor. It's just not really on a radar. Um, But ways to get in it are if you're interested, I always say look at job descriptions at um, different presses. And if you're interested in university press world, the Association of University Presses has uh, its own website. It has a job board. Read those job descriptions. And I think you'll find that in the academy, there's a lot of skills that will transfer over. 
in terms of like multitasking, organizing, and then also um, people who are really interested in a demonstrated commitment in terms of like learning the industry. I think that will get you far. Um, there's actually an initiative within the Association of University Presses. It's a Mellon-funded diversity fellowship program that's intended to diversify the acquisitions pipeline because we all know there's a problem of whiteness in acquisitions in the publishing industry in general, and university presses aren't have that as well. And so that is something that um, every year is an opportunity to apply. People do not need to have had prior experience. They just need to have a demonstrated interest in publishing. Um, so I would say if your campus has university press, like maybe you reach out to someone and try to do a 30 minute informational interview. I do these, I do a lot of these a year over people who kind of just heard about the press and emailed me randomly. And then we also have some initiatives at our press that are more formal where our outreach coordinator brings in some folks. Um, so, you know, um, as people who are intellectually curious, uh, that's one thing that transitions well from the academy to the academic adjacent publishing. So don't be hesitant to reach out um, and ask questions like that. Follow people in publishing on Twitter. Before I ever got my job at this press, I followed like any editor I could find in all the presses on Twitter. And by the time I got my job and went to my first annual Association of University Presses conference, I knew a ton of people. And so that's one way to learn about an industry. And I think that's also something that as well, like that's how I find out a lot about scholarly fields as well. So it's a tool I use as an editor, both in terms of um, finding publishing opportunities as books and finding publishing opportunities as um, an industry. And so those are some tips that come to mind. But um, I would really like if people are really interested, I, I would say um, there's a great resource called Scholarly Kitchen. That's a daily blog from um, the Society for Scholarly Publishing that really gives a lot of different perspectives on the publishing industry broadly, including books, journals, humanities, and STEM type issues. So obviously I have a lot to say on this, so I should, <laughs> I should pause. But yeah, I hope there are a lot of other people interested in publishing because it's provided me with opportunities I could not, I, I could never, never have imagined for myself. Once again, Twitter brings people together. Because look, I you know Twitter is how you know we you know got this interview going. You know it's because totally. you know you know I asked you know if if you'd be interested and in, you know it's, and it's interesting because I I've I've had um a friend of mine Kimberlyn Elliott um she went to uh, Florida A&M University with me and you know we were both uh, uh, uh we both got our uh, degrees in in history from there and you know she's been editing literally everything since I've almost everything since I've gotten out of undergrad and into masters and, and through PhD. And so like, you know, like I was like, Hey man, you know, you, you, <laughs> you've been doing it for me. So I, I, you know, and I started to pay her because I was like, dang, you're like, you're really like getting professionalized through this. So I need to, you know, pay you. And so, you know, it made me think about that too. Um, thinking about, you know, her, because I think, you know, she'd be great um, for this kind of work. And so just, and I know of other people as as well. And so, um, you know, that's my last scholarly question. So now let's get to a fun one, you know, okay. to, 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 to finish this off. So you read and write about a lot of different things and a lot of different people. So let's do it this way. Of If you had to pick five people who are deceased 
to resurrect from the dead for a night-long five-course meal of whatever y'all want. But you had to pick five people to resurrect and have dinner with, drinks with, what have you. And you could ask them any question that you want. What five people would you choose? Oh my goodness, this is so hard. Well, I am actually a huge Audrey Hepburn fan. Okay. I definitely want to have drinks with her. <laughs> so that would be one person. Um, I have five. Yes, you have five. So you got four more. Okay. Um, I don't know. I I definitely have to pick. I don't know which one. I have to think about this more. But one of the presidential like first ladies early in our nation's history to be like, hey, what were the what what's up? And because that must be fascinating. Uh, Cleopatra, who was a badass, so definitely mm-hmm. connect with her. Um, let's see. Um, you know, uh, this is probably going to sound cliche, but Princess Diana has a, such an impact on celebrity culture. And I am a huge celebrity culture nerd thinking through like reality television and things like that. So I'd want to talk to her. And um, let's see. Um, Oh man, uh, Margaret Garner. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm always touched and fascinated by her story, and so I think that um, there'd be so many different eras there, and then hopefully we could all figure out everyone's dietary restrictions. <laughs> there we go. That you know, it's that you know, that's a great list, and I'll tell you why. So when I so I lived in the UK for about three and a half months. Um, in 2012 during in undergrad and my mom came over uh, for Christmas um, to visit and so I just remember we went to a memorial site because my mom was a big Princess Diana fan and so like that was like one of the things that she was like Adam we got to go see it Um, and so like Princess Diana you know it's always been fascinated by her Um, Cleopatra of course now Margaret Garner is also excuse me um an interesting choice because Margaret Gar- uh, uh, Driven Toward Madness by uh, Dr. Nikki Taylor at Howard was actually the first book. If you look at the roster, that was the first book interview I ever did. And oh, so, yeah, I must have been like harnessing that or something. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, boom, right there. Margaret Garner was speaking. The judge. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, um, you know, that's a phenomenal list. And, you know, I, you know, I'm glad that we were able to get that so that, you know, if things ever change that we'll be able to, you know, be able to refer back to this. Um, and then, hey, you know, you're, you said your, your parents are going to be listening in, too. So, you know, they'll be able to uh, they'll be able to to be able to refer back to this for future reference if if uh, if it changes at Thanksgiving dinner or, or, or Christmas time or something. Um, and so, uh, Don, you know, it has been a pleasure to have you on. And once again, folks, we've had the pleasure of having Don Durante, Senior Acquisitions Editor at the University of Illinois Press, on to discuss her job, right? Because there is no New Books in African American Studies. There is no New Books Network unless you have folks like Don, folks out there like Walter at University of Georgia mm-hmm. or Debbie out there at, at Cambridge and, and the and the vast other uh, uh, presses out there. And so, 
you know, I'm, I'm really happy to have had you on um, to discuss what it is you do and to demystify what it is that y'all do. And also to provide some tips about, you know, a pipeline, along with tips about folks who are um, out here trying to trying to get published by, you know, one of the premier presses out there with, with series editors and such like, you know, Dr. Dr. Darlene Clark Hahn and, and Dr. Deborah Gray White, too. So, you know, it, it's a good time to be out there at the University of Illinois Press, is it not? It's great. I couldn't imagine I would have this like wonderful constellation of areas at any other press. So I feel really lucky. And I, I'm glad you called out two of my uh, editor pals because I also am lucky to work in a really good cohort of editors where we see each other at conferences. We make each other better editor. We have some laughs over drinks. And so I just feel really lucky on both ends. I think that publishing feels like my, um, intellectual and professional home. And I don't think many people can say this about their job, but I truly, the amount of things I get to read and the brilliant people I get to learn from, it makes me a better person. And like, you can't put a dollar sign on that. There you go. It is priceless. It is priceless. And it has been priceless to have you on this. And, uh, you know, you know, Walter, you know, everyone else out there you know i'll be i'll be hitting your inboxes and, and your dms very soon to have you on as well because we want to have uh other conversations along with you know talking to our book authors because you know i want to have uh, a definitely a diversity of of voices out there to discuss you know scholarly publishing to discuss journal articles in the future um, and to to open up the the net wider in, in new books in African American studies, so that we can you know so that so that we can have um, a robust discussion. Which, like you had mentioned before, not everybody can go to conferences like Asala and others because you know uh, funding, as we all know, is uh you know it ain't uniform by any <laughs> means. And so we want to be able to provide a resource to folks um, for the free. Because that that's the that's what the best four letter that's the best four letter and F word out there for re. And so uh definitely doing that. So Don, like I said, it's been a pleasure. And um, you know, hey, I'll I'll see you I'll see you in a couple days. Yeah, the pleasure has been all mine. This is a dream. And I felt so cool just making a plan over DM. Like, <laughs> like yeah. oh, let's use Twitter and the technology at our fingertips. But super excited for Asala, the conference season to come. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is a dream. Most definitely. And once again, folks, I am your host, Adam McNeil for New Books in African-American Studies. Until next time, folks, over and out.